millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the fourth Dying Arts episode of the Three Ravens podcast, a series all about heritage crafts and forgotten arts. I'm Eleanor Conlon and I'm intricately plaiting the last sheaf of wheat into the shape of a doll and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Martin Vaux. Hello! We are now in the middle of Three Ravens haunting season and we've been having a great time sharing original ghost stories, special haunting season bonus episodes and lots of lovely pumpkin patch pictures. Yes, we had a great time pumpkin picking last weekend. We've also acquired a new member of the family, a skeletal dinosaur we've <laughs> named Asmodeus yep. in honour of Martin's demons research from last week. It's fair to say that things are definitely feeling spooky here in the Three Ravens Nest and we've been enjoying autumn weather, seasonal films and of course hearing from all of you. We love to see what you've been getting up to so please do share your autumnal stories with us and of course enter your carved pumpkins into our pumpkin carving competition. Yes, the three winners will receive a special edition haunting season mug. So when you're ready to carve, email us at threeravenspodcast at gmail.com or tag us in your pictures on social media. So Eleanor, you dropped a hint in the end intro, but which heritage craft are we going to be learning about today? I did indeed drop a hint. <laughs> today we're going to be discussing corn dollies. Nice. Have you had many dealings with corn dollies, Martin? Well, not personally. I've never met a corn dolly up close, I don't think. But I'm very familiar with them as icons of the folk tradition. And I'm also quite interested because they appear in folk horror films. So they're often part of set dressing in folk horror. Yes, art department love a corn dolly on a folk horror film, don't yeah. they? We 
had a couple hanging in the kitchen when I was growing up, but I never thought much about the actual process of making them and the incredible craft which actually goes into it. Yeah, I must say, I've never thought about the making of corn dollies as a serious professional craft. I imagine it would always be a bit of a hobby, but then that's at odds with the complicated nature of making corn dollies because you were showing me pictures of corn dollies the other day and, oh, my goodness, they're so intricate. Yeah, and that's actually one of the reasons it's classed as endangered on the Radcliffe list of heritage crafts because there are actually no full-time professional corn dolly makers because it's pretty impossible to make a living from it. That makes you wonder if there ever was a professional Um, Yes, but not now. (laughs) The work's very labour intensive, um, of course, and so pricing the products commercially makes them basically too expensive to buy. And I can't imagine that demand for corn dollies is terribly high either. No, people wanting a corn dolly are likely to either want to pick one up at a craft fair or a farm shop or try and make their own for fun. But it's not something a single consumer would reliably want very many of in most (laughs) cases. You you might have one or two. Yeah, maybe, if that's true. Sure. So now I'm guessing the making of corn dollies originally had something to do with the harvesting of crops. I know as much from my reading, but when and where do we think corn dolly making originated? Well, it's likely that the custom goes back many thousands of years, although in England, the earliest documented making of a harvest maiden is in Berkshire in the 1500s. Right. And at its heart, it refers to the making of a figure to represent the spirit of the corn. So the corn spirit was meant to live in the token made from the last sheaf of corn cut, which would be kept until the following spring to ensure a good harvest. And we talked a little bit about this in our Patreon exclusive Mabon episode, so all, all about the autumn equinox. So what happens to the corn dolly once you've captured the spirit, woven it up and kept it in your house? Uh, so after it's been kept in the home over winter, the dolly would be ploughed into the first furrow of the new season. And designs and techniques for corn dollies have varied and developed across the centuries, but the connecting tissue is the celebration at the end of harvest, which is a worldwide custom. Sure, yeah. And um, so the corn dolly was part of the wider harvest home celebrations, which might also include the ringing of church bells, the crops being brought home in decorated carts, and of course, a harvest supper or feast held. And of course, mythically human sacrifice well if you like (laughs) (laughs) now i was very interested in the concept of the spirit of the corn a while ago when i was doing some research for a story is it right to say that it was widely believed that the spirit lived in the crop in that kind of harvesting the crop made it homeless so the farmers sort of needed to provide a home for the spirit of the corn yes that seems to have been the view in traditional pagan european culture before Mm. christianization Corn dollies as a term, though, doesn't seem to have been used until the 20th century. Previous references mention harvest tokens or harvest trophies, but there is an absolute wealth of regional variants by which they probably would have been known. So I've assumed that we were talking about vaguely humanoid figures when we speak about corn dollies, but... Is that not necessarily the case? No, not at all. Oh. In England, we can see varieties like the Cambridgeshire Handbell, Ooh. the Hereford Lantern, 
the Suffolk Horseshoe, the Worcester Crown and the Yorkshire Spiral. I'm loving all of these names and that is very interesting and it definitely brings home how rooted in rural culture corn dollies seem to be. Very true and that also is probably the key problem the craft faces today as roots and understanding are increasingly lost. Oh yeah, of course. The making of original designs with traditional techniques are already losing traction. Only one or two people in any given area might be familiar with them. And because corn dolly making isn't really highlighted as a separate craft from general straw work, loss of knowledge can only really continue. I, I like the idea of the military leader, general straw work. Just, just <laughs> general straw work. <laughs> now, yes, perhaps he needs to organise. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Now, I guess that climate change maybe is also a factor in this because we know it affects harvests and crop quality. Yes, certainly. Well, harvests always been governed by the weather, of yeah, course. Yeah. One of the reasons for making a corn dolly in the first place is to ensure a good crop. Mm. But you're right, shortage of raw materials is a big concern for the craft. And of course, practising it in a completely traditional way depends on growing old varieties of spring-sown crops, which might not necessarily be viable for a modern farm. So I'm interested in the idea of the corn maiden or, or corn mother in particular. Now, is there any reason the spirit of the corn is associated with a feminine figure? I mean, I'm going to put myself out there and guess it's got something to do with kind of fertility goddesses. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and there's actually a fascinating book called The Golden Bough mm. by James Fraser, which you may have come across yes. and is well worth a read if you're interested in comparative religious beliefs and shared elements of folklore and religious practice. Fraser devotes quite a few chapters to the corn mother or maiden figure in harvest rituals in Northern Europe mm. and also associates her with the Greco-Roman goddess Demeter or Ceres, who's the, the goddess yeah. of the corn and the harvest. And it, yes, as you say, may also be something to do with the corn bearing the seed of new life. Well, that's it. I mean, there are so many across the world's cultures, goddesses associated with fertility and corn and harvest. And that association between childbearing and corn and wheat. You know, you can see how the corn maiden, in a way, is a stand in for many of these different gods, kind of wherever you look. Although, of course, you're going to be limited by which cultures actually get straw, wheat, and corn. Yes, and there's definitely mentions of uh, oat mother, rye oh, mother. Uh, depending on what your your crop of choice is, oh, you can still participate in this ritual. Oh, how cool! And I was also reading that um, the difference between maiden and mother has to do with the person who actually harvests the last sheaf of corn. Oh, really? So if it's a young woman from the village, they'll probably make a corn maiden. Whereas if it's an older woman, it's more likely to be a corn mother. So there's a symbiosis between the figure made out of the crop and the person who actually cuts it. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. The Golden Bough has some really interesting examples of harvest rituals involving the Corn Mother. Okay. In the Holstein region of Germany, the Corn Mother was a figure made from the last sheaf of corn, which was dressed in women's clothes, then thoroughly drenched with water as a rain charm. <sighs> And it's slightly more involved in South Austria, where the last chief is made into a corn mother figure by the oldest married woman in the village. Right. There's that link I talked about. Yeah. The finest ears are then plucked out of it and made into a wreath, which is worn by the prettiest girl in the village. Oof. And she, she wears it in a procession through the village and then gives it to the farmer or squire. And the corn mother figure is kept in the barn to keep the mice away <laughs> over winter. I imagine she'd get eaten by the mice, to be absolutely honest with you. She, she does sound delicious. 
delicious. Also, you really don't want to be part of a vote for the prettiest girl in the village. I mean, no, that's, that's it's, dark. It's, it's not great, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I, li- I like to think perhaps it was the, the girl in the village with the nicest, kindest nature. Yes, that's right. The, ni- the one who's read the most books. <laughs> in uh, a small rural village in <laughs> southern Austria yeah, in quite uh, right. the 17th century, that would probably be a grand total of no one. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, the, the, the woman who could read. How about that? Yes, definitely <laughs> worthy of being crowned with a special garland. Yeah, for sure. In other places, the corn mother is placed at the centre of the harvest supper, sometimes on a special plinth, and uh, they'll have a dance around her and she sort of watches over yes. the festivities. I mean, there's a lot of traditions around having basically a harvest party, wherever you're from in the yes. world, getting together and then, you know, some kind of votive item being there as part of the celebration people getting a a little bit merry as their work is all finished yes interestingly i found no mentions of the corn figure ever being destroyed by fire as we find in other rituals yes The, the emphasis seems to be on preserving it over the winter keeping it safe to make sure that the harvest will be good next time very interesting and i really like hearing about all the different regional differences in these kinds of traditions me too and The Golden Bell has an absolute wealth. It's a really great read. I highly recommend it. So have we got time for some more? Certainly. Oh, good. <laughs> so Fraser also writes about the competition attached to cutting the last handful of corn in the Highlands of Scotland. Ooh. It's called the Maiden One or the Shorn Maiden in Gaelic. And apparently the reapers used to try various tricks to make sure that they would be the one to win it. Like hiding an uncut handful of corn from the others and then revealing it when all the rest of the field was cut Uh, and going, uh, oh, look, I found the last sheaf. And then once cut, the maiden is turned into a doll and attached to the wall of the farmhouse until Yule morning when it's divided among the cattle to make them thrive all the year round. It's really interesting to me that the figure is seen to have this amazing fertilising power, not just over crops but over animals and people as well yeah there seems to be quite a few instances of the doll being given to wives to help them have children Mm. and in some regions it was believed that the woman who binds the last sheaf will have a child in the coming year equally the last sheaf might be given to mares in foal or cows in calf and so the the reproductive powers of this corn spirit are quite amazing and sometimes represented by dressing sheaves up as a bride and a bridegroom as well see i've always pictured corn dollies as being quite small sort of able to be held in the hand or easily hung on a nail on your kitchen Mm. wall for example but a lot of these figures sound quite large to me well yes if it's the whole sheaf of corn and can be dressed in human clothing it's quite big but i I think they can be either Mm. there is also records of much smaller harvest straw designs being given as gifts round about the time of the harvest and these were often called countrymen's favors countrymen's favors isn't it great that's a good and these are made with straws picked up after the harvest and woven into a plait or a loose knot to kind of represent a heart and then given to someone you fancied oh that's nice (laughs) and then if the object of your desire attended the harvest celebration with your straw favour worn next to their heart the giver would know their love was reciprocated oh that's really sweet it's a nice idea isn't it of course I will be expecting you to create me a countryman's favour in time for the harvest feast I mean I've got to say when I heard countryman's favour it sounded to me a little bit like a euphemism (laughs) yeah or a particularly (laughs) boisterous maple dance (laughs) so judging by the images of corn dollies that I've seen they often look 
quite complicated. Are there particular techniques that you need to use to make one? Is it a bit like weaving wicker, for example? Yeah, there are. Well, first of all, you have to be careful to cut the corn at the right time. Okay. It should be done before the corn is fully ripe. Oh, so really? there's still a little bit of green visible at the first joint of the stalk. And why is that? So if the corn's slightly green, the grains are less likely to drop later and it will then dry out to this lovely deep golden colour uh, that we associate okay, yeah. with, with corn dollies. Um, if you cut it before it's ripened, mm. then it'll be better. And it's ideally cut by hand uh, rather than machine because that will result in less damage to the material. And then once you've cut the corn, you need to dry it and then it will often be grouped by thickness, length and colour depending on the style of corn figure that you want to make. Oof, it's actually quite complicated, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> and, and so would the whole length of cut straw be used or would it be cut down to different lengths? Generally, the designs would have been worked with the whole length. Yeah. So corn jolly makers are looking for long lengths of straw, mm. ideally. But it does depend a little bit on the design and the specific techniques being used, which can include plaiting, interlacing, knotting, weaving, like you say, like basket weaving, yep. tying or any other techniques based on passamentary, basically. Sorry? Passamentary? Oh, yeah, sorry. What's um, that? It, it refers to the making of trimmings. Okay. So very ornamental pieces used for edgings and things like that. So if you've ever seen one of those very highly decorated lampshades with loads of tassels and bubbles oh, yeah, yeah. and things. So that stuff, making that stuff is called passamentary. Oh, right, with you. And I actually read that it was quite likely that farm workers making corn dollies might have adopted techniques practiced by straw platters working for the hat industry. Whoa. So it all would have been quite decorative and beautiful. Wow, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? I, I suppose I don't necessarily associate hats with straw, but of course the straw hat is an icon of yeah. agrarian cultures. Yeah, I mean, the straw hat has been active since the Middle Ages, perhaps yeah. even before. Okay, and so you know, since the Middle Ages, things have changed a bit. So what about the modern world? Like, we don't seem to have that many straw hat makers around, for example. And it seems as though, like, corn dolly making has become, like, really niche. So... When did it start to fall out of fashion? Well, the mechanisation of farming and the harvesting crops probably put an end to it as a widespread practice up towards the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah, so 19th century yeah. during that Industrial Revolution mm -hmm. and, and changes you know, as people moved off the land, I guess. Yeah, exactly. However, it did see a revival in the 50s and 60s, uh, perhaps to coincide with the Festival of Britain in 1951. Well, that's interesting. An artist called Fred Meisen made very large straw figures of the lion and the unicorn uh -huh. sort of British icons which you might have seen they were very big um, yeah. and they're in a lot of photographs of the Festival of Britain and lots of new shapes were being created too and it's, it's fair to say that the craft really became more artistic at this point in time and the earlier sort of simple abstract shapes evolved into much more detailed representative objects. Uh, yeah but I, I suppose in turn that meant the loss of the origin of the craft and maybe sort of part of the association of its its purpose, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Although it did mean a rise in popularity for straw work. Well, something, I guess. <laughs> so several books were published in the 60s and 70s and the number of farm workers selling straw work that they referred to as corn dollies increased. Okay. There were even companies such as Corncraft in Suffolk who employed workers to make straw objects for sale. That's interesting. And as the craft grew, designs began to include different skills originally found in other branches of 
of straw work. See, I wonder if World War Two had something to do with this because a lot of people had to grow their own food, for mm-hmm. example. So there was a little bit of a return to growing your own, which meant that you then had things like straw that your family were collecting, if you know what I mean. Yes, and I mean, that period around the Festival of Britain yeah. was very much, let us hark back to the glory days of Albion. Sure. So all those kind of folk crafts became very appealing for people, didn't they? And so is it fair to say that you know, subsequently, things have got a bit confused between the traditional making of harvest tokens and the more modern artwork aspect of straw craft. I think so. Right. Although in Cornwall, you can still see the harvest festival tradition crying the neck, yeah. which I think we've talked about before on the podcast, mm. which is held every harvest and involves some of the traditional rituals of cutting the last sheaf of standing corn and displaying it after the festival. And so, I mean, you said that this is a real kind of red list dying art no professionals anymore. How is the craft actually being passed on today? Well, there is a guild of straw craftsmen. Is there? Yes. So if you want a wicker man made, call them first. Um, (laughs) They're probably the key promoters of the craft in Britain today. Okay. They do offer their own awards, which you can take. Uh, You can become a craftsman, which is the first level, and a master, which is the second level. And both of those awards include a requirement to make corn dollies. And they also offer talks and demonstrations and workshops and things like that. amazing. I'm very tempted to become a master straw craftsman. Well, that would be lovely. We could add lots of little bits of straw to our house to join the thread and glitter and strings of glue. Wouldn't that be lovely? Mm, Yes, it would be lovely. Let's do it. (laughs) Excellent. Watch this space for Martin's update on becoming a straw craftsman, craft master. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) But it is difficult to find regular training and there's no real consistent pathways to learning, I think it's fair to say. So you might you might have a bit of a challenge. So one of the interesting things that's come out of this conversation and this episode is a sense of a dichotomy between decorative straw work and traditional corn dollies associated with the corn mother and the harvest spirit. Yeah, and I think that's one of the key issues the craft as it originally was faces. Mm. The tendency to call all decorative straw items corn dollies, even if actually now they're closer to an art sculpture and have nothing to do with harvest rituals. Ah, and is there... Anywhere we can go to see sort of historic corn dollies today, like they're not something that I think I've ever really seen in a museum, for example. No, you don't tend to see great big collections, no. do you? But there, there are some. The Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford has a collection yeah. and so does the Museum of English Rural Life in Reading, which okay. I've only just found out about. Yeah, we stayed with some it. friends in Reading last year and I didn't know there was a Museum of English Rural Life or we would have been dragging them to it, wouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, true, we would have. <laughs> so for our next visit. Yeah. And there's also the Great Bardfield Museum in Essex. They've all got collections of corn dollies from all around the world, not oh. just England. Oh, well, that's some other places that we need to put on our to go to list. list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then, of course, we could always, you know, pop round to see your parents as we know that they've got a couple in their kitchen. Yeah, next time we go, we'll have to see if we can identify them because I must say I have a vague memory that there are corn dollies on the yeah. walls in their kitchen, but what are they like? Cambridge Bell? Stafford Knox. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Eleanor. That's been really interesting and it feels very seasonally appropriate. Perhaps we should have a go at making our own corn dolly. Well, we could certainly try. Mm. Straw work must have some things in common with weaving, so maybe I'll take to it. And as we've said, you're about to become a straw master. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm going to learn. I'm going to become like a Jedi master. A corn master. (laughs) But we will obviously have to include ours in an ancient harvest ritual, won't we? Not just for art display. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, most of the things we do are based on ancient rituals. uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Anyway, 
Dear listener, we would love to know if you or anyone you know has ever made a corn dolly or watched a demonstration or can shed any light on regional variations. So please do get in touch with us on social media or by emailing 3ravenspodcast at gmail.com. That's also the place to send us your thoughts and your own tales of wonder and dread. Or you can get in touch with us on facebook.com forward slash 3ravenspodcast, Instagram at 3ravenspodcast and Twitter at 3ravenspod. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider subscribing to our patreon for three dollars a month or six dollars a month at patreon.com forward slash three ravens podcast we've got lots of exclusive goodies up there already and next week of course our new three ravens film club episode all about the vavitch or the witch that was going to be coming out but before then we've got more original ghost stories on monday and then next thursday a special something wicked episode all about the Candyman killer just another quick reminder about our three ravens pumpkin carving competition too Ooh, yes you've already carved yours send us a photo or tag us on social media for a chance of winning a limited edition haunting season mug now we have some truly monstrously sized pumpkins to work on ourselves this year <laughs> so we're looking forward to sharpening our knives and hollowing out some ghoulish creations this weekend until next time then while the last sheaf of corn's gone that way we'll go this way and remember don't whistle until you're out of the woods Our theme song is the traditional folk ballad Three Ravens, performed by Eleanor Conlon and Ben Harbour, and our logo is by Ollie James Dare. The Three Ravens podcast is a Rust and Stardust production, produced by me, Martin Vaux. Thanks for listening. God sent every gentleman Such hounds, such hawks and such lean men With a down, derry, 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 down, down deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.